following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on The Leftovers. You will be hearing this episode on January 26th. It's our Friday episode, one of our favorites to get prepared for. Got the whole crew back. Start with Anshu Khanna tonight. Usually I go with Dan first. Let's change it up, aren't you? Thanks for joining me tonight. Josh, thanks for having me. It is, uh, I, we appreciate you powering through it. It's, it's not evident, you know, you're not operating at 100%, so we uh, we really appreciate it. Slightly more nasal than normal, but uh, <laughs> like I said, uh, like you said, I should say I will power through it. And let me be the first to wish you a, a very happy birthday, aren't you, on this, uh, this Friday that our listeners will be gathering. Uh, oh, you actually would be the first, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Let's go. And Dan Bauer also <laughs> joining us tonight. Dan, how are you? Was doing better before you stole my happy birthday early uh, wishes to haunt you, but uh, overall doing wow. pretty well. Well, somebody has to be the first to wish him a happy birthday. <laughs> you can be the second, my friend. <laughs> and with that... You guys are going to be feeling a lot of the thunder tonight anyway because we've got baseball talk. So, Dan, MLB Hall of Fame candidates, or not candidates, uh, the electees, I guess, came out. And uh, why don't you take through who uh, will be gracing Cooperstown with their presence? So we have Chipper Jones, Vlad Guerrero, Jim Tomey, Trevor Hoffman. I think these were four guys that everyone expected uh, to to make it on the ballot. The one that was the question mark was Edgar Martinez. Uh, does not make it on the ballot. He was at about 70% of votes. He needs 75. Le- next year is his last year of eligibility, so we'll be really interested to see uh, you know, whether he makes it on. It's a big day for me. Jim Tomey, obviously one of my childhood heroes growing up as an Indians fan. He was the reason I always wore my socks high, uh, like a bunch of us did running around in Cleveland. Uh, he taught us how, how to wear our baseball pants. So shout out to Jim Tomey. You know, Matt Guerrero, a very interesting uh, addition to the Hall of Fame crew just on on what cap he's going to wear. You know, looks like he will be the first angel to wear uh, the cap in the Hall of Fame. Doesn't go in as an expo, which I think is pretty uh, you know pretty sad. Could have been the last expo. Instead, he's the first angel. Anshu, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, so it looks like he played, what, nine, from 1997, essentially, through 2003, he played at the Expos, then he got to decide where he played, and he went from 04 to 09 with the Angels, so, you know, maybe one or two last years with the Angels, but obviously signed that massive deal there, stuck around, really was better um, for the Angels, so... Uh, you know, he had some of his really awesome years. Actually, yeah, I don't know. Some of his peak years were with the Expos 2000. He post 6.2 war. 2002, he goes 7-1. That's pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of those classic examples of, like, 
you know, in the NFL, they just, I think they don't, they put all their teams on the plaque. They don't just like have one. They just have their face on it. Right. So it's, it's interesting. I always find that to be like a fun part of the baseball hall of fame voting, which player, you know, you, we talked a little bit before about whether or not Jim Tomey would be going in as a Cleveland Indian. I mean, I think it's definitely going to be the case, but in this one, it is sort of interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of cool novelty around potentially going in as an expo, but it makes sense that he's uh, he's going in as a Los Angeles angel. Yeah, he higher numbers mm-hmm. in Montreal than in LA or um, Anaheim, you know, whatever whatever you want to call the Angels at this point. But uh, higher batting average, higher uh, on base percentage, higher slugging, higher OPS, obviously based on those other two. So pretty interesting. He he chooses that. You know, he does get the MVP award in Anaheim and also I believe his only postseason appearance in Anaheim as well. So Oof. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, like seeing Vlad. Love seeing Vlad and we were talking a little bit about uh this before the uh, show as well. He's actually the first person to wear an Angels cap on the Hall of Fame flag, which is which is also, you know, maybe went into his reasoning, you know, being the face of the Angel at least as far as Cooperstown is concerned. Maybe, maybe not, but uh Definitely had some big, uh, some big numbers at the plate throughout his career. Uh, sticking with the Diamonds, though, uh, the Brewers made a couple huge moves today. Dan, can you take us through what the Brew Crew is doing these days? Well, the Brew Crew is coming back with a vengeance in 2018, and arguably, I think the most interesting team in the MLB next year. But they signed uh, free agent outfielder Lorenzo Cain. I believe I saw his five years, eighty million dollars, which is about what he and his agent were looking for uh, from the get-go. Also, the big trade of the day, and you know, one of the probably two or three biggest trades of the offseason now, uh, gets Christian Yelich from Miami for four prospects. Um, those are Lewis Brinson, uh, Isan Diaz, Monte Harrison, and Jordan Yamamoto. Three of those guys are in the uh, top 15 prospects for the Marlins or uh, for the Brewers, sorry. So number one, number six, and number 14, uh, respectively. So, you know, a big trade for the Marlins, and they finally get those prospects, really, that they were looking for. Uh, Two of those guys are top 100 uh, prospects, according to Baseball America. So of all the grief that the Marlins have gotten this offseason, it looks like they finally got a a halfway decent haul for uh, one of their big outfielders. Yep, it looks like they – yeah, I think that, you know, I think they did pretty well. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of – it's interesting because they did do so poorly with the stand. I mean, the stand trade you kind of understand because of the money associated with it. The Asuna trade was just terrible. I mean, they got nothing back from St. Louis and gave up one of the best young power-hitting corner outfielders in the league. Um, in this case, you get – I mean, Yelich deserves what the return is here, which is two top 100 guys, and then I really like Ethan Diaz. I think that he's got – a ton of power potential for a middle infielder, a lot of pop. And I, I think the Marlins can be happy with their return here. Lewis Brinson is the prize. He's a top 10 uh, prospect, and he probably could be top five in almost any other year. This year is just absolutely loaded at the top when you look at Acuna and, and uh, obviously Otani and Jimenez and, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. So, you know, I think that, I think they did pretty well. Yelich, I mean, let's just talk about him for a sec. He's 26 years old, just turned 26, and he's on an incredibly cheap deal. He signed for through 2021 and as an option year after that. 
And given the amount of money he's being paid, he's this is just an unbelievable bargain. And it actually enabled the Brewers to go ahead and sign Kane at a little bit. You know, you're right. It, it's about market. They gave him an extra year. I would think he was pegged for four for 48 by fan graphs. He ends up going five for, or I'm sorry, four for 68. He ends up going 580. So like you said, Dan, I mean, that's, that's a little bit much considering Kane is about 32, but because you trade for Yelich, you're able to do this for Kane. And now the interesting thing is what the Brewers do next because they have an absolute surplus in the outfield. I mean, if you looked at their roster, I would have said that outfield was actually kind of a strength for them. They have Keon Broxton, uh, Domingo Santana, and Ryan Braun right now. Now I think at least two of those guys, plus Brett Phillips was a really talented prospect. I think two, if not three of those four guys now get dealt. And I think that the Indians are – are absolutely in their crosshairs as far as a fit for a deal. You talk about Domingo Santana as a potential deal for, you know, a young pitcher, maybe Danny Salazar, someone along those lines. I think that that, that fit makes a lot of sense. If not, they'll definitely be looking at the Rays and Chris Archer. I, I definitely don't think this is the last we've heard of the Brewers this off season. Love it. I know that we've been keeping kind of an eye on the Brewers. They've been active for the last, obviously, a lot of last season leading up to the trade deadline. and Clearly, they want to be active in this offseason as well and make a push to try to compete that uh, division with the Cubs. So we will see how it goes with the Brewers, and obviously more to come. I'm sure they'll be making more moves. Uh, anything you wanted to, to toss in there on the, the Brewers or anything else that will be related to So Anshu brings up an interesting point of the trade partner for the Indians, and this is actually something I've talked to with a couple of different people about of whether we need to add an outfielder. And I honestly don't think that there's really a space for anybody. And I, and I know it makes sense. And I know it almost seems silly. You know, why do you not upgrade if you can, but uh, obviously Brant, Michael Brantley, big question mark. I still don't think he's going to take significant swings in an Indians uniform or any MLB uniform for the rest of his career. Uh, to be completely honest, I think, I think the, the ship has sailed on that, but, you know, you have uh, you have guys who needs at bats. Lonnie Chisnall had a great year last year. You have Geyer out there, Bradley Zimmer, your young center fielder. Uh, you have uh, Diaz who needs to get at bats as well. You know, he's probably going to play left for a pretty significant portion. So, you know, between Yandy, Brantley, Zimmer, Geyer, uh, Chisnall, there's just not a lot of room in the outfield. And you know, Anshu would actually kind of want to get your take a little bit. Do you? agree with that that it, it just doesn't make sense assuming you're trying to get guys like Yandy Diaz at bats to to make a trade like that and you know and maybe I'm just thinking of it wrong but what do you think well I think there are going to be at bats for Diaz at third I know that they've they you know you still got Kipnis they're going to move him around I think Kipnis still probably gets some outfield looks I know that they want to move him around at first and you know you've obviously got him at second and you've got the other, uh, obviously, you've got Ramirez and Lindor and all that, and you have to work with all those pieces. But, you know, the fact is, and especially after re-signing Brantley and uh, Chiz, it, it just kind of surprises me that they, you know, that they wouldn't be, that they'd be looking at making a move. But they allegedly were one of the finalists for Kane as well, which I read late tonight. So, you know, if that is the case, that means the Brewer, the Indians are looking to add to their bats and specifically their outfielders. I think Kane makes some sense. I mean, I, at 32 years old, it's weird to to think that he would have maybe fit into their window for the next three or four years. But, you know, he, he can play great defense, and we know the Indians have great pitching, and they, they rely on some really good defenders. They probably 
um, have placed more of a focus on their defense um, and their defensive metrics than most teams, along with the Rays. They're another team that does that. Um, but that being said, I mean, look, they, they do have a surplus. Uh, Danny Salazar doesn't do as much for them. They clearly want to move him. I think that they're kind of sick of him, frankly. And, uh, and you know, that means that a guy like Domingo Santana, a big power-hitting right-handed batting outfielder, makes a lot of sense to me for the Indians, whether it's Santana or somebody else. Yeah, no, we do need a right-handed bat, to be fair. It's, it's not going to look pretty for us next year and a lot of lefties, so... Um, you know, to that end, I, I agree with you. Well, uh, more more to come there as well. Uh, definitely, you know, obviously your Indians are still trying to remain in the hunt for a World Series contention. Uh, so possibility of them making a move sounds like it could be there as well. Uh, let's shift from baseball for now with more to come from, uh, from that, uh, the MLB, but a new league potentially gracing us with its presence and a new league that once was. So the XFL uh, was announced that they're coming back and back in a much different way than they did the first time around back in 2001. But Vince McMahon announced today here Thursday that uh, it, it will be back. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a lot different this time around. So it looks like there's going to be eight teams for the first season back. They're shooting for 40-man rosters. It uh, looks like it's going to be about a 10-game season starting in January. And one of the things that Vince McMahon said when he was uh, answering questions from the media was that he plans on it being a faster game. And what he means by that is less timeouts. Uh, maybe he said that perhaps they wouldn't even look at a halftime during the game, and they're, they're shooting for a two-game, two-hour game time, which I thought was interesting. He also said that no players with a criminal record would be able to play in the league and that there will be rules. And he kept hinting at the, the, the fact that you know players won't be – able to kneel and there will be rules against that and uh, it's not going to be used as a political soapbox. So a few things that came out of that that were interesting, but the one big question I want to pose and I'll start with you on you around the XFL is how relevant do you think this league can really get? How much of that WWE fan base? He also did say that, that none of the WWE announcers would come into the XFL like they did last time around. So he's trying to make it kind of a league of its own. And he said that he wants to kind of stay in the background while he hires professionals to run the league. So how relevant do you think this league can get? Uh, you know, I think that in an age where, you know, college football is almost as much of a king as NFL, it's got a chance. Like, I mean, in the social media age, you think about, like, I mean, first of all, I don't get why he's not allowing criminals, frankly, because that is going to kill some opportunities for him. Because there are a lot of guys that can't make it in the NFL because they are criminals, honestly. And, you know, like, everyone kind of deserves a second chance I think and this is the perfect opportunity like it's almost like you know he he is acting like this is going to be a premium spot to be not like some wasteland of where former NFL players could have been but like you think about Johnny Manziel he can't play in this league and Tim Tebow can't play in this or I mean he can play in this league I guess but imagine if he couldn't because he was jailed or whatever or you know was accused or charged whatever so, I, I mean, that is that is a potential – you're losing a lot of a potential market there, especially, like, I think of Manziel. And, you know, I'd, I'd watch him. I'd absolutely go ahead and watch that game. And I, I just think that that's kind of, like, from a business standpoint, it's surprising because Vince McMahon is a businessman first, and I would have expected him to uh, capitalize on that. Yeah, Dan, let me pose this question to you. So, uh, around the Manziel front, he – 
Denzel actually tweeted at Vince McMahon right after the announcement came out yeah. um, about wanting to come play in the league, and and McMahon actually named Tebow by by name during the the, the questions that he was being asked uh, as somebody that could potentially play in the league. But it looks like what he's trying to do is create something very family friendly. Uh, he doesn't want to rely on obviously a lot of the, the craziness that surrounded the XFL and you know the flashiness that was around it the first time around. So, Dan, do you feel like that approach is something that may end up drawing a, a more wide fan base, or do you think that that was the kind of thing that, that people remember about the XFL and that was why it was got the attention that it did in the first place? I really don't understand the strategy of the trying to go more family-friendly, you know, going away from what the original yeah. XFL, you know, to your point, Josh, what drew people to the XFL was, you know, even back then – uh, as the rules started to change it change and more you know more of the quarterback protections and more of the the high hits and uh, you know the XFL was the you know hit you ever hit wherever you want we don't have fair catches we don't have coin tosses and that was and, you know 13 year old me thought it was extremely fun uh, you know from a family friendly standpoint how much more family friendly can the NFL be at this point uh, you know obviously there's going to be a bunch of hot takes either way on that, but you know, there's no hits above the head. Half the time you can't hit below the knee. You got like six inches. You're allowed to hit anybody. It's roughing the passer every time you flick somebody in the elbow. If he's a quarterback, I mean, what else can you do to make the NFL more family friendly? That Vince McMahon thinks that there needs to be a more family friendly version of the NFL. Yeah, I get that side of it too. I think that what he's trying to do is, is, do things differently than last time because it failed so quickly last time. Remember, there's only one team the first time around. And the political stance thing is interesting. Um, you know, he, he kind of posed it as people don't want, you know, political issues to be in the forefront when they're trying to watch a game that takes them away from, you know, the drama of the world. So it's an interesting take. I don't know, you know, I feel like that's become such a part of the culture of the NFL now that it's going to be difficult to, to get, you know, high-level talent that, that does ha- want want to have that uh, platform. But it, it's going to be interesting to see how this progresses because it's so early now. All we have right now is an announcement and the fact that there's going to be a league in two years. So it'll be interesting to see how many tweaks are made to this original, uh, you know, framework for what they expect the XFL to look like. But it, it, it's good for us. I mean, it's more football. I think we all love football. It, uh, it's one of the more entertaining sports that I enjoy watching. So, Having uh, an additional season start in January, I'm on board with for sure. Uh, sticking with football, though, Dan, uh, why don't you bring us up to speed on a little uh, little news that came out today from your boy Sheffy? So looks like, and, and we talked a little bit about this uh, on a show. I believe it was Monday's show. We t- talked about this, uh, or maybe Wednesdays. Blake Bortles may not be back as the Jaguars' uh, quarterback next year if the Jags can sign Kirk Cousins. So. Sounds like they're going to go after Cousins and even Alex Smith. You know, I understand potentially replacing Bortles with Kirk Cousins with Alex Smith. That seems that seems like a pretty rash decision. So uh, if you guys don't mind, you want to split a microwave and uh, we'll throw 90 seconds on and you tell us whether we think that that's a, a good plan or not. Sure. sure. Thank you. Would you uh, like to uh, get yeah, started? Can, yeah, sure. So Bortles is 25 years old. At the beginning of the league year, he is going to make $19 million this year, okay? So that is not uh, – look, Bortles was benched in the third preseason game for Chad Honey. Like, 
there was a decent chance he wasn't even going to start this season at all. And I know that he turned it around, but how much did he really turn around? I mean, in the playoffs, he throws for, what, 214 yards in the game against the Steelers. And, uh, like, you know, he had a great game against the Pats like, and an amazing performance considering the context of the game, the fact that it was on the road in New England against Matt Patricia, who's going to be a head coach now in Detroit. I mean, that that's all very impressive. That's a one-game sample. We've got three years of Blake Bortles where we know what he is. I mean, I think that both those quarterbacks immediately make you – if you're not the favorite, you're definitely a top three or top two contender in the AFC, especially with that defense. Um, you know, it remains to be seen if they keep Allen Robinson, but you've got Leonard Fournette. you still got Keelan Cole and Dede Westbrook. And, you know, they've got a lot of weapons. I, To me, I, I just – I think if you have the opportunity to get better, you absolutely do that. And even the 34-year-old Alex Smith is a, is a significant upgrade over Blake Bortles, I think. I don't know, Josh, what do you think? Share this uh, this microwave with me. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, let me get in there with you. Uh, I, I mean, I, I kind of disagree with you, to be honest. I part of partly by the first thing you said, Blake Bortles is 25 years old, and he just led. I mean, obviously it's a great defensive team, but let me let me take a few more seconds. We need to overcook this. So I, I look at Blake Bortles and I say, all right, he's a guy who has been inconsistent. He's a guy who's really been subpar. But when you look at those two guys and the amount of money that you would have to spend to bring guys like that in. Alex Smith, you mentioned it. He's getting up there in age. He's been known throughout his career to choke in the playoffs. Kirk Cousins has been no no less inconsistent than Blake Bortles has been over the past few years, and I just don't see him as a franchise quarterback. So if I'm the Jaguars, I've got a 25-year-old quarterback who just led me to the AFC Championship. I've got a solid defense that's got a ton of youth on it. I'm going to give him another year. I think he earned that by taking them to the AFC Championship, by playing well enough to win that game against New England. And, you know, like I said, you go with the side, with the, the, the side of you. Unless you can bring in a legitimate star, which I don't think they're going to be have the capability to do, I just don't see Alex Smith or Kirk Cousins as a legitimate replacement. Dan, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it's just so hard to take – to replace a guy who just almost took you uh, to – to a Super Bowl, you know, I get that Bortles has been up and down. Uh, Kirk Cousins, I think, is far and away a better quarterback. So I think if you can get Kirk Cousins, you do it. And but for Alex Smith, I don't think it's worth the gamble at that point. Yeah, it's so it, it sounds like we're about split down the middle between the three of us. I'll take that. <laughs> Uh, but with that, we need to get to our oh by the way because I think we're running a little over this evening, folks. But uh, Dan, why don't you start us off? What do you have? Ooh, uh, my uh, oh by the way um, is actually that Brandon Marshall. Did you see this rant today from him that NFL teams uh, should be ashamed that they let the Patriots into the Super Bowl again, as if like these teams were. Like, every other team was just letting the Patriots waltz, waltz to the Super Bowl. Um, like, all right, Brandon, like, let's let's calm down here. Yeah, he's been known to say some off-color comments over the years. Um, <laughs> interesting coming from somebody like Brandon Marshall, but noteworthy nonetheless. Anshu, did you have anything to add for, oh, by the way? Um, you know, I, I guess I think I wanted to talk to you, Josh, about the all-star game draft that occurred. So I don't know if you had any thoughts, but 
to me, I, I think this should definitely be televised. It's crazy that it hasn't. Everyone seems to want to do it, except for apparently the union, like, agreed not to let it be televised. I, I don't get it, though, because, like, the two players in it, or the two captains wanted to televise it. So, and Clay Thompson came out and said he wanted it. I, I just can't imagine not wanting it to be televised. So, it would have been a lot of fun. Like, I would definitely would have tuned in. But do you have any thoughts on the actual way the draft went down to two teams, the way that they are between Steph and LeBron? Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I could think of as reason to not have it televised, because obviously it would be a, a way for the TV to get ratings, because the NBA has become such a popular league over the past few years. Um, I would say it may have something to do with the fact that they didn't want to see who got drafted where in this draft, you know, because there, there's some legitimate stars obviously playing in the game. I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, or especially when you have like the personalities like LeBron and, and Steph who are, who are such bitter rivals uh, nowadays. It's, you know, it, I don't know. But it, I, I think what's interesting to me is that Kevin Durant is on the bronze team and Steph Curry said leading up to the draft that if, if Durant is available, I'm taking him with the first pick I have. LeBron wouldn't come out and say that he took the Durant first. He said he wasn't going to tell anybody who he picked where, but it's pretty obvious that he picked Durant first. The other thing that I thought was interesting about LeBron's draft is that Kyrie Irving ends up, ended up on his team. So a part of me thinks that LeBron wants to win this game legitimately and he picked the best team. And I think if you look top to bottom, at LeBron's team versus uh, Steph's team, it's significantly better, in my opinion, from from top to bottom. But it's also very interesting that he's got his, I guess, widely thought of his heir apparent in Kevin Durant and his recent nemesis from this past offseason who left the team and said that he would fake a knee injury the entire season if he stayed on the Cavs in Kyrie Irving. So I thought that was interesting. I don't love the whole pick captains and have them draft the team for the NBA All-Star team. I preferred the East versus West, and I said that on previous shows. Uh, but I definitely thought that was interesting, and that was going to be my oh, by the way. So that's perfect. Did you have any additional thoughts on the All-Star draft that took place tonight? I, I mean, I thought that the fact that they, he took Kyrie was the most stunning part. I'm not surprised that he has Durant. I think those guys generally like kind of respect each other for sure, and I don't know if they like each other, but they definitely respect each other and, you know, and they're, you know, the two best players generally speaking. So that makes sense. But get it, taking Kyrie after all the stuff that went down is just insane to me. Um, and I just, that makes me wonder if Steph was just like, yeah, I'm not taking him. So go ahead and do it. You know what I mean? Um, I love the idea. Or of LeBron Steph wants to play. make it seem. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, or LeBron wants to make it seem like that the beef is through. Cause you know, LeBron likes to drive the narrative. That's true. That's very true. He loves chaos, creating it and thriving on it. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I I personally love the idea of seeing Steph play with Giannis. And I, I just like the cool thing about this is that you get teams that players that like never, ever would have played together. I mean, I just love the idea of those guys playing with each other. Um, and, and like, I just think this is going to be a really interesting game. I mean, the way that Steph built his team is, is, clearly kind of catered to his game, I feel like. And then he's obviously got Clay as well. Uh, and then you've got LeBron with, like, your more traditional lineup. And it's kind of funny how that that's reflected in the way that the Warriors and the uh, and the, the Cavs are built. So I think it's going to be fun to watch. I'm, this is probably the year I'm most interested in watching the All-Star game in a while, to be honest. The way you just framed it, you made me more excited about it. And I think that I didn't think about it that way, but it does kind of seem like they built their teams the way that their franchises are right now. So that is kind of an interesting point. 
So maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a try. Maybe I'll watch it this year. <laughs> With that though, I think uh, I think we need to wrap this one up, guys. We we always go over on our Friday shows because we're so excited uh, to end the week with a bang for you guys. If you haven't yet, please go rate and review uh, for Anshu Khanna and Dan Bauer. I'm a very nasally Josh Dunn. We will catch you on Monday. <laughs>